Welcome to the Project Tears podcast. This is episode four. What does it take to build a project car? I am Joe, and I've got Kevin here with me. Hello. And we are coming to you live via satellite because we are in the middle of a quote unquote pandemic. Yeah, we got the wonderful, uh, wonderful COVID 19 stuff going on. So Joe's at his house. I'm in my house. We've had some technical difficulties thus far, but uh, I, think, I, I feel good about this one, Joe. You feel good about this one? I think we got it. I think we got it in the bag. Nice. So uh, today we plan to start off talking a little bit about customization of vehicles, project cars. Again, kind of like our other episodes, but this one more focusing on things that you should know or things that you should have or what it takes if you want to get into working on cars. Yeah, I think that's that's a pretty good place to start. I mean, um, I think everybody that is inherently or everybody that's semi-enthusiastic towards automobiles fantasizes about you know the magical project car yeah um that's a good point whether you're you know no matter what kind of car you're interested whether it's trucks or you know tuner cars or muscle cars or even you know high-end more supercar stuff like uh, that kind of need to be able to understand the vehicle um you know it, it encompasses all of them you know especially older yep. stuff you know how to work on your own stuff so Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think, like we discussed, I think in our first episode, like I, I see it as an interesting vehicle, no pun intended, um, for people to express some level of creativity when it comes to modifications and stuff. And I think yeah. that you <laughs> you definitely open yourselves up, open have the potential to open yourself up to some criticisms. And opinions when you do that um i know when i look at custom cars there are some that completely knock my socks off and others i just don't understand what people were thinking but i i think that's the beauty of it right like part of it yeah i mean if it has to be seen that way sometimes (laughs) to each their own and you know the the beauties in the eye of the beholder or the builder i guess in that sense so anyway, without further ado, we'll launch into it. Um, I would say we take this conversation from the aspect of DIY, right? Like anybody can get a big stack of cash and have somebody build their project core for them, which I don't know. It's not cheating in a way, but it kind of is because I think... No, the, yeah, but sticking to what we know and what we do yeah you know along the lines of if you want to do it yourself if you want to build this car yourself if you want it for the experience if you want it for the money saving yeah. you know whatever it may be um that's what we're going to hit on today so let, let's start at the beginning joe let's say you're a young kid you love cars you've got the car posters all over your wall like every kid that loves cars do does what uh, to me i think i was thinking about earlier uh, step one most important thing uh that's what i'm gonna say what was that sorry you kind of jumbled there number one for you would be what what would be a mentor oh yeah very much so i think that my life was was definitely 
bad in the beginning. Like I took every opportunity I had where I was forced into having the opportunities a lot of the times to go out and help him. Right. We were in the situation where when my dad was working on cars, it wasn't uh, for performance gains. Right. It was, it was more for maybe a sense of accomplishment. Something to drive to work on Monday. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's maybe a sense of accomplishment, but more probably than anything, you know, the money savings. Right. I I don't have money to, to, to pay somebody to do this or I can do this myself. And so I don't need to pay someone or whatever it was. Um, what's your thoughts on, on that aspect of it? I think that is a huge factor. Um, I, I have known people that have kind of struck out on their own and just, you know, figured it out as they went along. But I think, especially as like a young kid going at it, your propensity for success is way higher with a little bit of, you know, wisdom or coaching that comes from the having some type of mentor. Um, With me, it would be my my dad as well. And I mean, that guy had had all kinds of random cars prior to me coming along. And even just from the uh, encouragement standpoint, I guess, because he probably did more work on our first project car. Well, I'm not even going to beat around the bush. He did do more work yeah. on my first project car than I did. Um, I mostly just, you know, cheated off his paper as we went along and then got to enjoy the fruits of that labor. Um, but in that sense, I mean, like the the potential for education in that scenario is is huge, in my opinion. I think that that's really where a lot of those uh, foundational um, kernels of knowledge can be obtained in a very practical and feasible fashion. Yeah. And I know I I started off by saying a young kid, but I mean, really that extends to anyone getting into it. Oh yeah. You know, um, finding somebody and, and what's even better than one mentor is multiple, right? Is finding different people you can learn different stuff from. For my dad, I learned a lot of, the maintenance aspect of stuff, you know, the, the keeping things running, like you said, and having a vehicle to drive to on Monday. And, you know, and since I've met you, it's opened up a whole world of things I didn't even know existed. You know, I had all the cool car pictures on my wall growing up, the custom cars and stuff, not realizing the extent of, <laughs> of <laughs> and labor that went in to make those happen. Right. It was just, it was just yeah. pretty cool and, and, and a dream, but uh but learning from people like let's for me, I mean, it's like got stuff from my dad. I've got stuff from people all along my path, you know, learning different stuff from different mechanics and fabricators and, and whatever. Um, I think being around people being around as much as you can is going to be step number one um, for me. So very, very much. So I would, I would agree with that. And I think um, this is kind of one of my, my life mantras anyway, is, I mean, you can, you could and should never stop learning. Um, yeah. Even if it's, I mean, when I get bored, I get on social media and stuff and just look at random happenings in that arena, you know, and there's, there's always somebody trying something somewhere would be the best way I could sum it up. And I, I tell my kids this all the time. I'm like, you're, you're never going to be let's say you'll always find someone that's better at something than you but you'll never find someone that's better 
at everything than you. And I think that's something like myself, um, perfect example, like I get on social media sometimes and it's like, I see what other people are doing. It's like, man, I could, I wish I could do that. Right. But it's at the end of the day, it's like, well, there are some things I can do or, you know, the, anybody really could do, um, just because you don't have, you know, the budget or the facilities or, you know, necessarily the resources to do something in its entirety doesn't mean that you can't glean something from somebody else's, um, work as a means of inspiration, um, to push in new directions. Yep. So, so kind of going off that same tangent, obviously, you know, we were both, uh, you know, had, had the wonderful privilege of having our dads teach us a lot, but, uh, the, the next step for me was in high school and I took an automotive class, you know, um, and the automotive class obviously is kind of a no brainer for anybody getting into cars, right? The, there's a few, usually yeah. have, most high schools have a couple different levels of that. Um, that just gets you to know the basics of the cars. I mean, it forces you to, you know, we had to pack wheel bearings by hand. That was one of the things we had to do, you know, and, and that was even yeah. in the era where a lot of cars didn't have, you know, tapered roller bearings. Roller bearings. Were, yeah. Right. I had my yeah. six on, so I did those, but like other, like, you know, our teacher would just give them a wheel bearing and like make them go pack it. And you kind of got to understand it. And so obviously I think that's one that comes most to people's mind, but something that I've found um, other classes I took in high school, uh, I had a welding class, you know, and I never really thought that that would, when I took that class, I didn't intend on it to lead into the automotive industry. Right. I had a machining. Yeah. Class. I think all of those adding up together, learning to work with metal, learning to understand metal, um, becomes a huge part of cars when you get into it. Like I said, at the time I was naive. I didn't realize that's what I was doing. Right. It was just, yep. you know, I, I liked the industrial end of it, I guess. And that's kind of why I was taking those classes, but, uh, but oh, yeah, you're, you're you know, singing right. my song right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I would agree hundred percent. I actually never took an automotive class in high school. Yeah. I, I only uh, took the one, but I think it gave me a good basics, but yeah. I took lots of art, but I I would definitely say that that is is an invaluable resource though to a lot of the like younger individuals. I mean, even even if you were more advanced in years, there's still lots of resources like you know community colleges or tech colleges do automotive programs and stuff like that, like if an individual were to later in life decide to, you know, investigate that. I mean, I know one institution that has an automotive program and I don't think the tuition's real obscene. I mean, and they still go through a lot of that type of stuff. So, um, but I, I think that you, you hit an excellent point there that that is a good, a good means of exposure in a very controlled environment. Um, yeah. let's see what else (laughs) well no but i I just i mean if if i can protrude into your personal life a little bit like sure the the things that right you're you're a teacher at a at a tech college doing a metal fab class right um when i've come to visit there the things that i've seen i i mean okay let's go a little bit into let's just start small right pun intended yeah with the vehicles that you've built there and the vehicles your students have built there 
um, that are both automotive and metal. You know, you've got welding, you've got fabrication, you've got automotive, you've got engine oh, stuff. Yeah. You have to understand the geometry of suspension and all that stuff kind of comes in together in your classes. And I mean, if you don't mind, go ahead and expand on that a little bit if, if you can. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so in my, you know, nine to five existence, that that's essentially it. I mean, we, we teach, uh, I had the opportunity to develop and implement a metal fabrication program. Right. And, uh, inherently, obviously there's always going to be that, that automotive element because it's, it's a huge one, especially when you think about metal fabricating, um, everybody immediately thinks of like Chip Chip, Chip Foose and Jesse James. And it's like, oh, I want to do all this crazy stuff. And it's like, I I am, well, excuse me, more than encouraging of students to, to like explore in those directions. But like the, the foundational stuff is the a key element. Um, and just some quick examples. I mean, we've done everything in my program from, I mean, I had one student, he brought in a 50s, Oh shoot! What was it? It was a Plymouth. I don't. It might have been a Belvedere. I could be wrong. But anyways, it's like giant boat of a car, and he had found like a junkyard Hemi. I mean, it was like the baby Hemi, whatever it is, like the three three hundred cubic inch family of Hemi. But I mean, this kid, he actually found. A, I'm totally going to say it wrong, but is a 671 or 871 blower. Um, and we built like scratch built an aluminum intake manifold for this giant blower to go on this baby Hemi. Um, we've done, you know, different suspension stuff, hot rod chassis. We've actually done a couple of, um, we're currently working on an aluminum hot rod body, which has been a complete riot. Um, some of like the little projects that I've done in there as, as demonstrations to kind of get students motivated was uh, 2017 Roadster. I got my hands on a glass body and just like more for the, the educational mileage than anything. I just like put together the most ridiculous chassis I could. And like I spent like zero dollars on it, which I think having never had like a real strong desire to have a hot rod. I think I, I embodied the idea of a hot rod quite well because it's got yeah. like a 67 Ford truck front end, a 55 Ford truck rear end, a Pinto motor. Um, I digress. But anyway, it's, <laughs> it's an amazing uh, plethora of, you know, automotive tangents that we've, we've dabbled in there. Um, you know, we've done exhaust manifolds and just all kinds of silliness. And, and that's it is, when you start to realize how well welding and fabricating and machining feed into those automotive elements, especially when you start getting into like customization or a project of any sense. Um, I mean, it's almost a no brainer at that point. Um, if you yourself do not have those skills to at least make friends with somebody who does. Yeah. Um, or take, take a class can, like you're saying, right? Because kids, kids can bring stuff into your class. People can bring stuff into your class. Maybe they don't oh, have to do it themselves, right? But they can do it at the school, yep. you know, and, and I mean, so along, you're learning and being able to build your stuff more or less. Yes. I am a huge proponent of um, experience being one of the, the greatest teachers, right? So, like, in, in my program, I'll let students 
as long as they they get through enough curriculum, I mean, they can like load up a project and bring it in and and actually do it there again in that controlled environment where you can make, you know, a few mistakes and, um, and it's not detrimental. Um, and you know, we, there is a lot of uh, collaborative spirit and stuff like that with those projects in the program, and I think it, it's something that you can achieve with the. Uh, you know, kind of building a good village around, um, as far as like contacts and associates and stuff like that, um, in, yeah. in the real world. But, um, yeah, we've had like, I've had a handful of automotive students that went through our automotive program and actually took fab because they wanted to get it more into either the customization or the auto body type stuff. Um, and I think that is probably the single most, underrated trade in my opinion i know i am heavily biased but i would even push it beyond like welding in general like just being able to fabricate because you're combining multiple elements right like you have to be able to to have a little bit of an artistic eye to be able to design something and then transfer that design into a, a tangible medium and do it effectively that the thing's not going to be a complete train wreck and fall apart at some point in the game. I think there's, there's a lot of uh, facets there. Um, and when you look at like all these people over the years, um, a, a good example would be Ed Roth because he did fiberglass um, with a lot of his cars. I am not a fiberglass fan. That guy did amazing things with fiberglass that like, I would not be afraid to try and metal, but with, with glass, I just, I don't know, that, that's a different element. I will not go off on my metal versus composite <laughs> rant, though, because I have a heck of a rant on that, but we'll save that for another time. We'll, we'll give Joe an episode uh, on ranting about that another time. Yeah, because so, metal's an amazing thing, anyway. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, that's basically, I mean, we've kind of beat the dead horse at this point now, but, but educate yourself, right? know what you're getting into, yeah. find, find a situation you can get into. That's like, you're saying a little bit more of a structured place where you can, I mean, the basics for me, like learning to use a grinder, learning where the sparks are going to fly and how not to hold it. So it doesn't kick back and hit you. And yeah. you know what I mean? Like you get your basics, you get yep. your knowledge automotive, obviously it's a given, but look into doing the welding, look into doing the fabricating, look into doing, you know, machining where you're yeah. working at these types of things and you can learn to make shapes and to, you know, how the metal, works and everything so education and and beyond automotive right like yeah another quick tangent like um when i worked at the off-road shop um you have mechanics who are great they know how to do stuff but if you have somebody's a mechanic that can also weld like you know and then can also fabricate stuff like that that was triple threat (laughs) yeah so much more than just a regular mechanic i mean not money wise i'm sure i'm sure probably money wise to certain companies but but just to me, like as a salesman, knowing that I had somebody there that could do the day-to-day yep. when, when special things came in or situations arose where something broke and we couldn't find a part, having somebody can build something, you know, and it, it's all, like you're saying, it's all intertwined. It's all related. It's also something you can do together. So, um, and I, I think on that, get there give me 30 seconds um but you know like if an individual were to undertake a project and say they had 
very, very limited access to resources and stuff, even if they take a very incremental approach to a project, you can, you know, kind of baby step it into a lot of this stuff um, just by taking it small bites and, you know, they're again, hyper-calculated risks, right? Like, okay, I've never run a grinder before. Well, before I go hacking off a quarter panel to replace it, let's, you know, try it somewhere where it's less consequential, I guess. Yep. Um, anyway, that's my little tangent. There. No, that's good. Um, um, yeah, let's, so, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to segue into the next section, so I'll let you do yeah. it. You do a, such a better job than I do anyway. No, so. I was just, just thinking here, um, it's just like shifting gears into the next segments. All right, you have your ed- education, you have, you're familiar with your, your surroundings, what you're using and stuff. Um, tools, right? The next thing is tools. For me, tools. one thing I've learned, yeah. again, I keep reverting back to the shop. <laughs> I learned so much there, <laughs> right? But, you know, you have all the mechanics there that buy all the snap-on stuff. They buy them, you know, the all the name brand tools because they use them hard. And do they need yep. them? And is it worth the money to them? Absolutely. To someone like you and me, you know, a craftsman wrench, or, you know, a Harbor Freight wrench, you know, Yep, it's fine. It's good enough for what you're doing. Um, you know, you're not doing it and all day, every day on these tools trying, yep. trying to build. So I think that's one thing, like for a budget minded person, like go to Harbor Freight, get the basic tools from Harbor Freight. You know, if you know what you're working on, obviously, if you're working on old classic American, you're going to buy a standard set of tools. If you're working on anything non-American, you're going to buy a metric set. Anything new, it's all going to be metric. So, you know, what yeah. you're planning to work on, you know, I had to a scout, which is an old American vehicle, but I put a bunch of Toyota stuff into it, which was all metric. So I had to have both sets because yes. I made that choice. Yeah. You know? And something that you and I yep. both use every time we get together, we both have one of the generic sets of tools, right? Just like your your oh yeah in your socket it's, and your ratchet. It's easy to transport. Yep. Yeah. Nice. And you know you have like the 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 bare bones or the, the essentials essentially. Yeah. <laughs> um but uh like if we when we go on our junkyard trip, yeah, we both have our little toolkits. If we're doing something offsite, you know, you at least have that foundational set to get going. And that's a, that's and, enough for most cases, right? I mean, I built my whole scout. Oh yeah. With more or less hand tools. Now, I mean, now that I've gotten into more stuff and I've seen the beauty of an electric impact, <laughs> you know, and and the, yeah, and how good they are now. I mean, they didn't used to be like that, right? But you've got a battery powered, you don't have to wear cords, you don't have to worry about hoses. You don't have to worry about yep. that kind of stuff. And I was going to ask you this when I was thinking. Um, so my experience, I have a very small compressor. It's got like a two-gallon tank, nothing big. It fills up tires. It does your basic stuff, right? I tried to. I bought an yeah. air grinder from Harbor Freight to do something, and that grinder runs for like ten seconds, and I'm out of air. Um, so, yeah. So electric versus pneumatic if... to you in your world of actually using this stuff. Um, pros cons. Anything? What do you got? As far as electric versus pneumatic, yeah. um, like home stuff, yeah. I almost never use an impact just because I I have a couple, but they use a lot of air. Yeah, they do. And which if like I, even if blue I give it the business, they use, but yeah, um, if you can give it the business with a ratchet, um, I do have a couple of sacrificial ratchets for that point that I'll use a cheater bar or a dead blow hammer to get stuff to come loose. Um, as far as like grinders and stuff in a more, if you have the capacity to produce enough compressed air, 
You can't beat them. But if you don't, they will produce more misery and frustration <laughs> than any two things combined, right? Yep. That's um, about I'm. At home, I use I use almost exclusively electric grinders. I do have a battery sawzall um, or my plasma cutter, um, but as I do have like a whole toolbox drawer full of pneumatic tools from when I were worked in uh, facilities that had you know, huge air compressors. And when it came to that, like, you know, die grinders, body saws, stuff like that cannot be beat until you can't produce that much air. Like, I don't have a real big compressor in my garage either. And if I need to, I can run a die grinder for a minute or an impact gun for a minute. But I mean, that thing is going to go, you know, balls out for like hours to keep up with what I would need it for. Um, Surprisingly enough, it does a better job keeping up with my plasma cutter than it does a die grinder. (laughs) So if I'm going to fire up the compressor, I'm probably reaching for the plasma cutter before I reach for the die grinder, just because it'll do a quicker job, albeit messier, but um, I don't have to listen to that compressor drone on and on and on for, you know, two hours in order to make a small cut. And I used to be very uh, hesitant towards electric grinders for a long time just because I had spent enough time with pneumatic stuff that I was really comfortable around them. Um, It took me a while to come around to using an electric grinder. You know, I was a guy that'd like scoff and I'd watch like YouTube videos of dudes, you know, hacking a chunk out of a steel plate on their workbench with an electric grinder and a cutoff wheel. And I... I am willing to admit that I, I have become that individual <laughs> because nine times out of 10, it's just easier to use that right. than, you know, a pack of cutoff discs, even if you get good ones, is not that outrageous. And I mean, it is nice to have an air, you know, I've sure. got some like 90 degree angle grinders with, you know, sanding discs on them and stuff. They do come in handy, but from like home use, back to the whole welding tangent, I've met more people I can shake a stick at that went and bought the Harbor Freight stick welder yep. to put quarter panels on some car. I think a lot of people run into the same issue with, uh, well, I'm going to buy a die grinder because I need to cut some thin sheet metal. And it's like, you know, there there are more than one ways to skin a cat. And, uh, you know, I would definitely say I've, I've done a lot with, you know, using a cutoff wheel to make my initial cut, at least the starting point, and then throw a sawzall in there and knock out the rest with a really good blade. Um, a lot of times that's almost even faster than using a die grinder or a body saw. I, I know around my house I've, I've started using, when I had got my die grinder, right? I wanted to use it. I wanted so bad to use it. And I was, I mean, just home stuff even, right? And I kept trying to cut stuff and mess with it yeah. forever. And I kept running out of air and I couldn't get it to happen. And I pick up my saws and cut through it in two seconds, you know? And I was like, dang it. Yep. Like I wanted that die grinder to work. But again, like, if you have the compressor, great. Like you're saying, do it. If you don't, oh yeah, you can't if, beat it. You know, you want to invest a little bit of money. I would say you're okay to start with electric stuff, um, and even I mean, even yep. finish through that, right? I mean, it's it's good enough now. Um, it might not have all absolutely the, the abilities that pneumatic does, but um, you know, don't waste a bunch of money on a compressor thinking that you have to have pneumatic. Um, totally agree. And, you know, to your point with, like, the Harbor Freight stuff, even with the Harbor Freight stuff, if you buy a tool set, 
for a reasonable price and say you break one of those tools because they're not, you know, snap on quality, you're not breaking the bank to go replace that one tool. Um, You know, say you grenade or bend an end wrench or break a ratchet, like one ratchet compared to the entire initial investments, pretty nominal most of the time. Um, And yeah, I would say the same thing like die grinders and stuff. A lot of it's going to boil down to the frequency in which you're going to use it. Yep. Um, I have, you know, I've, I've bargain shopped electric grinders and had a couple, almost what I would term sacrificial grinders. Cause I only paid 10 or 15 bucks for them. Now, obviously you always get what you, what you pay for. And I kind of knew with those ones that, you know, every minute I got out of them was an extra minute, you know, and, and I have, I have gone through the gamut with grinders and I have, I have, had $40 grinders that have lasted just as long as $150 grinders. I've had $10 grinders that just fall apart no matter what. Yeah. I don't think they're, I think once you get down into that price point, you really, I mean, well, it is what and, it and is. This, this <laughs> is an example I used to use a lot um, at the off-road shop. And that, that was, uh, I can't remember which magazine, one of the four wheel drive magazines did what they called a segment called the winches in hell where they went to hell's revenge in Moab and they winched the entire trail uh-huh. with like, they had like 10 winches or something, right. From your most expensive worn and super lift, you know, down to the basic Harbor freight one. And when they got to the end, I think it was Harbor freight and super winch were the two winches that had made it all the way through it, you know? And, and the point they made was you're taking the gamble when you buy a high-end thing like that from Harbor Freight. They said, we, I think they ended up buying like five winches from Harbor Freight. Some of them lasted, you know, a few feet. Some of them last the entire time. Um, I think it's just the consistency and the quality is the one thing to watch out. Yeah. Like you're saying with the grinders, right? Some of them you pay 10 bucks for it, it lasts forever. Other ones you pay 10 bucks and it, it dies right away. So, um, you know, I think with the bigger equipment like that, that's not hand tools, Spending a little more money is probably going to be worth it in the end just to get a consistent quality out of it rather than taking that gamble. But even if you don't have the money, like, you know, you and I both have used the Harbor Freight stuff, you know, time and time again. And it's, you know, it's all comes down to your budget. But I I would say, you know, it's not bad to have, but they're in the bigger stuff. I feel a lot of times that you're kind of getting what you pay for. Um, And so... I would agree. Keep that in mind. And, you know, back to the whole welders. I mean, that's always been my hesitation towards, you know, like the super budget welders is um, to get something a little bit more name brand. You know that in 10 years you can get parts. For yeah, it. that's a huge one. And yep. most welders aren't super cheap. So if you're going to make, you know, the take the plunge, that that's when I always kind of advise people on whenever they ask me oh i want to get a welder it's like well you first and foremost what's your budget and i would say like with a lot of your hand like an electric grinder if 40 dollars fits your budget a 40 dollar grinder is going to work just fine right. you know what i mean yep. um until it doesn't <laughs> i mean if you can spring for something nice or great but like i i i've tried not to be one of those people that like roll up on someone working on something and immediately you know, pass judgment be based on the, the tools they have at their disposal because, you know, if you're using a half-inch wrench on a half-inch bolt, you're using the right tool, I guess, in my opinion. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> if you're going at everything with a ball peen or a claw <laughs> hammer and a crescent wrench, then, you know, we, we may have issues, but, um, you know, that's, I think back to like the first tool set I ever got and it was some like made in China Kmart special. My grandpa bought me from, for Christmas when I was like 12. And I mean, this was, it was funny because I remember that year going, well, why didn't I get like GI Joe's or something? Right. And then the following year they gave me GI Joe's and I was like, why don't I get more tools? Like I'd I'd had enough time to, to become acclimated to them and get it. But like, it was funny because like that first tool set and I would say the same for my kids. People have bought my kids, you know, the little Home Depot hammer and plier sets. Yeah. I'm glad they get them the cheap stuff because it takes a few, takes a few set of wrenches before you actually take care of them. Yep. You know what I mean? Like as terrible as that sounds no, it's like true. you'll, you'll try using cheater bars and stuff to figure out what the, uh, what the limiting factors are on those wrenches whether you know it or not. Um, and I, I have broken Harbor Freight tools and I've broken Craftsman tools. I mean, that's, you know, I, th- I think stuff is, will last as long as, to the point in which you're willing to abuse it, I guess. Yep. I, I... Because if it, if, it, if it holds up to abuse, you'll continue to abuse it to that level and then eventually you'll find that that threshold, whether it's on a Harbor Freight wrench or a, Craftsman wrench or a snap-on wrench. Yeah. It's the ouch factor at the end, <laughs> knowing how much you spent on that thing you just broke, right? Speaking of the ouch factor, gloves. For heaven's sakes, people, buy yourself gloves. I, I went majority of my life oh, not man. wrenching with gloves, and then I started wrenching with Joe, and he always has his gloves on. And we get done, and my hands are bloody and hurting and covered in grease, and he pulls his gloves off, and he's all happy. And I'm like, you know what? To heck with you, Joe. Every time. I finally have started to learn my lesson and I put on my gloves almost every time now just because you're saving yourself so much heartache just to have a good set of gloves. Oh, yeah. I mean, and by all means, I mean, I I am admittedly pretty OCD when it comes to gloves. Um, I almost always have like a box of nitrile gloves in the garage if I'm handling something oily or greasy or nasty. I'll throw those things on. Um... I usually have a pair of like soft material handling or kind of mechanics type gloves. And then I've usually got something a little heavier for, you know, welding and grinding. But admittedly, I have been in a hurry and welded in nitrile gloves, <laughs> handled greasy stuff in my good welding gloves. So, um, but yeah, I mean, as somebody who is pretty accident prone, I it took me a while to get around to wearing gloves, but I just got tired of green scotch bright in the bathroom sink like even to this day if you go to my house i could find i could produce some green scotch bright out of my bathroom i tried fast orange all that jazz like fast orange is great but it takes some time i would go regular hand soap green scotch bright pad and just lay waste to the old mitts until i wasn't covered in grease and yeah, once you you resurface your hands a few times <laughs> down a couple layers of skin, you start to go. Maybe gloves would be a good. Yeah, idea. yeah. I, I mean, I because I did that, and I was like, oh, that's you know, and the mechanics I was around, like, oh, that's just the name of the job. But then I, when I was around you, I was like, oh no, there there is a smarter way to do this. <laughs> so yeah. Um. Anyway, um. I mean, 
so kind of kind of going back to the beginning here as we wrap up this this quick little episode we're trying to, to put together <laughs> here um you know what does it take customization you want to customize a car you know where we started education educate yourself as much as you can you have great you know youtube everything you want is on youtube anymore and oh, yeah. everywhere and there's clubs everywhere and there's people that's willing to help you um i'd say number one educate yourself get the project car the mentors we had was great but i mean our mentors yeah. us on vehicles right like having my own car yeah that needed love my 68 pontiac like that was a teacher in its own right i had my dad there showing me what to do but i also yes. had my chilton's manual telling me what i needed to do to make this thing work and you know, yep. anymore like i said you're the internet it's a whole different world than than kind of when we started but um you know oh yeah i mean you could you could get on youtube and essentially yeah find find ways to do things yeah i mean it's yeah good and bad right correct that is the the perils of the internet is everybody is inherently um leveled at the same uh expertise i guess or not even expertise i can't think of the word now i totally failed (laughs) everybody's considered a a subject matter expert inherently whether they are or not i mean you can make a YouTube video about Ford Pintos and know absolutely nothing about Ford Pintos. There is going to be someone that's going to watch that and perceive you to be the the world-renowned expert on Ford Pintos. Yeah. Um, I think that is one of the inherent risks of the internet as a resource. But that shouldn't deter anybody from utilizing no, it. Because the it is, is there's 100 people that will all show you how to do it maybe all different ways, you know? So don't take Oh yeah, this guy's opinion. Go out and keep looking and and figure out who's doing it right and who's doing it wrong and who the best person to learn from is if, if that's your resource, right? You have to kind of educate people yep. there. So, and I think with with co- the customization thing, just to throw that in at, at the end, um, they're again like incremental. I mean, as as much as I would like to think we're all ambitious enough to just like undertake a huge custom car to begin with. Um, probably the second most modified car that I've ever built would be my Spitfire. And it was my first project car, right? Yep. But like when I put it together, it was like bone stock. Like I did not dive into like heavily modifying this thing right out the gate. Um, there was definitely that, that fundamental, you know, foundational process. And then it slowly segued into, okay, how could things be done differently? Or, you know, I essentially grenaded the motor and then started looking at, I mean, this will date me a little bit, but it was, the internet was still a new thing. So for a Triumph Spitfire, you either had to know someone that had the catalog to the random place in California that still sells parts for them, or you're out of luck you know or you're putting four pinto stuff in it because that was your other exactly (laughs) and so in in incarnation number two was a 78 toyota corolla and so it was like okay we'll shove this modern transmission in there and by almost by necessity was where the first wave of you know customization came from and then it just at that point i started to realize that like 
you could do really terrible things. <laughs> and working in the off off road shop was very educational. But one of the other um, places of employment I worked was actually a shop where we were building like civilian armored vehicles, and these were like, you know, very discreet items, and just getting immersed in both cars fabrication and like heavily modifying things for a number of years of my life, I think ruined me. Um, in that sense, now I just want to modify everything. Right? You're not afraid to take things apart and do whatever you want. No. Anymore. You know, that fear anymore. One of, one of my wife's go-to phrases is why can't you leave things, you know, the way they are, why do you always have to change things? And it's like, well, I, I don't know. It's, it's become ingrained in me, unfortunately, because it's like, you know, we have modified this. And it's like, oh boy, here we go again. But there again, you know, just as abstract as that was, I, I learned a ton there. Um, and it definitely did enlighten me to how you could start making those incremental tweaks. So on a project car, it may start off as kind of a restoration and, you know, maybe it's easier to put a few modern elements in it than to fully restore it or you're trying to make it more drivable, right? Yeah. And that's kind of the beauty of, of a car is you could hit any point on that spectrum from, you know, bone stock to like heavily modified and anywhere in between. Um, anyway, yeah. there, I went off on a little wandery tangent. It's, it's all good. That's what we, we do, right? That's how our builds go to. That's why I know they never finish just like this episode. They just keep going on and on. Right. They just keep going. <laughs> Okay, well, that's, that's going to be it. wrap it up for today. Again, you know, become a project here. Go get your own project. Go work on your own stuff. Um, you know, share with it. Share with us. We've got all the social media stuff. It's at The Project Here's on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Um, we like to see your stuff. Share it with us. Uh, you know, share your ideas. Be creative. Get out there and have some fun. Yeah. Go get it. All right. Bye. Bye.